Welcome to the On Health Podcast by Houston Methodist. I'm Zach Moore. I'm a photographer and editor here, and I've worked in multimedia and television for over 15 years, and I'm also a longtime podcaster. I'm Todd Ackerman. I'm a writer-editor who previously covered science and medicine for the Houston Chronicle. Todd, do you take vitamin D supplements? I do. Uh, that is one of a number of supplements I take. I take it even though I probably get my allotments from from food, but just to be on the safe side and because it's I've heard it touted as a wonder drug, uh, I take one one pill of it a day. Okay. I mean, I drink milk. It has vitamin D in it. Yes, though not as much as you th- might think. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I haven't really put much thought into vitamin D other than obviously you know, milk, but now I'm more of an almond milk drinker. Side note, do you, what kind of milk do you drink? I drink almond milk as well. Okay, okay. Fellow almond milk drinkers. Very good. What got you drinking? I'm curious now. What got you drinking almond milk? Sometime earlier in life, I stopped eating dairy products Mm -hmm. and started looking for alternatives. And I liked almond milk, the best of the options. I I did as well. Did you have chocolate almond milk ever? (laughs) Oh, it's good. You should try it. That has added sugars, though. There is vitamin D in almond milk. It is fortified with yeah, it. Yeah, it is fortified. Yeah, so they're actually, and we'll find out in our discussion here that it's actually uh, all the milks that you see out there, almond, soy, oat, rice, it's all fortified with vitamin D. So uh, no matter what milk you're drinking, you are getting a supplement of vitamin D. So who are we talking to this week, Todd? We're talking to Dr. Lola Akuno, who's a primary care family medicine doctor at Houston Methodist Sugarland. Before I get to some of the basics of vitamin D, I wanted to cut right to the chase of what struck me, and that's that I read these claims that a vitamin D deficiency is the root cause behind a great deal of diseases and, and that it's a silent epidemic. Is that true? And is a vitamin D deficiency worse than other vitamin deficiencies? There's a lot of research that's been going on for decades here about whether vitamin D has been important or whether it plays a role in certain disease processes. The important difference here is that a lot of studies have shown a relation between having low levels of vitamin D and things like asthma or cardiovascular disease, but they haven't shown that supplementation actually improves patient outcomes. So that's the problem. There's very conflicting resources about whether supplementation itself is beneficial versus just having the deficiency. And that also goes along with other factors um, revolving around those communities. So people with low vitamin D levels can have different socioeconomical statuses. They can be raised differently just culturally. And maybe that has more of an effect on the disease process versus just the deficiency itself. So I would say while vitamin D deficiency can play a role for sure, we don't know how conclusive the evidence is about supplementation for all of those things and not just bone loss, but the other non-bone systems that it can affect. Um, In regards to whether other vitamin deficiencies may be more important, potentially yes and no. You know, vitamin B12 deficiency has lots of factors as far as not just health of the blood systems, but it can affect the nerve. So it just depends on what you're asking about, number one. And then number two, the the research and the data that supports certain vitamin deficiencies. And vitamin D deficiency is, seems to be on the increase these days? It is on the increase these days. And so part of the reasons why we think that is, is that a lot of people are now working indoors versus outdoors. So we get a lot of our vitamin D from the sunlight. And as we are making a shift more towards 
not just living indoors, but doing a lot of our socialization indoors, we're decreasing the amount of natural vitamin D that we're getting. So um, not just here, but in other parts of the world, we're seeing a, a rise in deficiency. But hasn't that been going on for a long time? The deficiency itself? Well, if there's an increase and it's just because people are indoors, are people that much more indoors now than they were 20 years ago? I would say so. You know, we're uh, not only covering ourselves up more because we're aware of the other effects of sunlight, so skin cancers. I think we are moving more indoors or protecting ourselves in a way that limits our ability to get vitamin D from the sun. Talk, Talk a little about what vitamin D does its importance in bodily functions? Yeah, so vitamin D um, actually is a hormone, but it processes in the body through the kidney, through the liver, and then becomes the active form and helps with calcium and phosphate absorption in the body to help fortify and mineralize the bone. So primarily we know it's important for bone health, but it also has importance for muscle health as well as potentially maybe, depending on the study you're looking at, um, immune support and cardiovascular and pulmonary support as well. What's the difference between D2 and D3? So the difference is how it's processed in the body. So vitamin D3 is actually processed a little bit easier as far as it goes from D3 then through the liver, then the kidney, and then the active form of it versus D2, which takes a little bit longer to process in the body to get to the active form. So if you're going to take a supplementation over the counter, our preference is vitamin D3 because we know it's more readily transported to the active form. And is one of them by prescription, D2? So you can actually get, I believe D3 is more available over the counter. D2 is the prescription one that, so should you have a really bad deficiency or really low levels, then um, providers typically prescribe D2 in the large international unit, typically 50,000 units. What is the ideal intake? Is is it still 600 or, or was it moved up to 800, do I remember? It depends on who you are. So if you are an eight-month-old or if you are a child less than uh, 12 months old, the recommendation is 400 international units. If you are one to adult age um, but not elderly, so around like 65, then the recommendation is closer to 600. As you reach elderly, then our recommendation jumps up to 800. Okay. And that's pretty consistent? That's not- No, that's not consistent. It depends on who you're asking and what society you're asking. The consistency of all of those things is an infant. So there is a general recommendation of 400 um, international units in infants. Um, The thing about that is if you're a formula-fed baby, then you're going to get all of that from formula, but humans don't make enough vitamin D through the breast milk. So then you really are looking at outside supplementation. And, and what's the best way to get it? Is is the sun the best way to get it? The sun is a good way to get it, but there are other ways to get it. So if you're going to have dairy products or if you're going to have fish, fish liver specifically, but fish in general, fatty fish, is a good way to get vitamin D. Or, I mean, these days lots of foods are fortified with vitamin D. So whether that's grains or, or bread, you can get vitamin D that way as well. If someone has a deficiency, is it is it easy? Is it an easy thing to fix? It is pretty easy. So if you have low vitamin D levels, so typically when we're checking blood levels and also deficiency is different depending on who you're asking. But in general, if those levels are less than 30, then we know that you're deficient. If they're less than 12, then you're you're really low and should be on supplementation. Typically, um, it is easy to fix. It's either a once daily tablet or if you're really deficient, your provider may recommend a once weekly tablet. And how much sun exposure is a good idea to, to get is like our 10 to 15 minute walk in the morning or late afternoon when it's not, you know, top skin cancer <laughs> hours. Is that is that going to help you do it or? 
it really depends. So about 10 to 15 minutes a day should give you about 200 international units, right? But again, that's difficult to measure and I can't give you an exact measurement, but of course that's going to be beneficial um, as long as you're also wearing um, skin protectant. But the other thing to know is that depending on who you are and your ability to really get that vitamin D from the sun, since so you have more melanin, um, you're not going to get as much vitamin D as someone who maybe is more pale. And so you may need more sun exposure to get the same amount of vitamin D from the sun. Dr. Akunu mentioned some ways to get your vitamin D, but we wanted to drill down deeper to let you podcast listeners know all your options. Before we start, you need to know how to read labels. They may show vitamin D in either international units or in micrograms. The daily recommendation for adults under 70 is 600 international units or 15 micrograms. Cow's milk may be the first vitamin D source that comes to mind, but the truth is it doesn't occur naturally in cow's milk. Since the 1930s, however, virtually all milk manufacturers have been adding it. That goes for alternative milks as well. Almond, soy, oat, rice, coconut. Yogurt is also fortified with it. So is a lot of orange juice. But none of those give you a lot of vitamin D. One glass, or serving in the case of yogurt, typically supplies from 1.5 micrograms to 3 micrograms. That translates into 60 to 120 IUs. The best source is cod liver oil, a tablespoon of which has a whopping 1,360 IUs of vitamin D. If that doesn't sound tasty, rainbow trout, salmon, swordfish, tuna, herring, and sardines are all great sources. The vitamin D in a common serving of the different varieties ranges from 320 to 720 IUs. Mushrooms are another good source. A 3-ounce serving provides about 8 micrograms of vitamin D. One egg, primarily the yolk, provides about the same amount. Finally, milk and yogurt and orange juice aren't the only products fortified with vitamin D. You can easily find vitamin D in cereals, oatmeal, and bread. From annual checkups to managing chronic conditions, your healthcare should be personalized to you. At Houston Methodist, our primary care doctors provide customized care for you and your family with more than 40 convenient locations across greater Houston. We offer a variety of ways to get care from in-person and virtual appointments to same day visits when you're sick. Choose your doctor and schedule online at houstonmethodist.org slash stay healthy. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. And now, back to our conversation with Dr. Akunu. So why do deficiencies occur? Lots of reasons. So these days, whether that's nutritionally, so if we're not taking in enough vitamin D, we're not getting enough from the sun, or if you have a problem with your liver and your kidneys. So I know we talked about earlier the way that the vitamin D is processed through the body. You know, you're getting this inactive metabolite from the sun or from food. And in order for it to actually be beneficial and helpful in your body, you have to have it processed through your liver and through your kidney. So if you have chronic kidney problems, chronic liver problems, any potential way through those organs that isn't allowing it to become active, then that's definitely going to become a problem. But also these days, there's also there's intestinal absorption issues. So Crohn's disease, celiac disease, any one of these malabsorption issues that isn't allowing vitamin D to be absorbed into the system. If you're taking it orally, then you're going to have a problem with getting it to create more calcium in your body to help with the bones. And is it sometimes kind of a mystery why why people get it? 
Oh, definitely. If you're deficient in vitamin D and you're taking appropriate supplementation and your levels are still low, then we have to go down the whole of, well, why is it still low? Check your liver, check your kidney, check for absorption issues, and it's all normal, then it can still be a mystery and we don't know exactly why someone can have it. And among those at risk, people with darker skin as well? Yes, for sure. I think I was reading a recent study that said over 90% of individuals with darker skin are deficient in vitamin D. They may not have symptoms of vitamin D deficiency, but their levels are low. What are signs you're not getting enough? So if you asked this question 20 years ago, um, the answer would be, oh, are you feeling tired? Are you feeling more down or depressed? Because those were some signs of vitamin D deficiency. But these days, Honestly, most people have no symptoms. We only see really bad symptoms when it comes to things like rickets in kids or or osteomalacia in adults, meaning you're actively having um, demineralization of the bone from low levels. Symptoms typically aren't present these days. The older studies that show that it could lead to more fatigue or signs of depression have actually been kind of debunked. So honestly, a lot of people don't have any symptoms. Is it not a bad idea just to take a supplement It's not a bad idea. So if you say that you don't have good intake of uh, vitamin D naturally in foods or if you're not getting a lot of sun exposure, it's not a bad idea to take supplementation as long as you're taking the appropriate amount. So over the counter, you can find, you know, 400, 800, 1,000, 2,000 or 5,000 international units of vitamin D3. However, if you're taking more than 4,000 units, then you're more at risk of having signs of vitamin D toxicity. So that's the thing to be careful about is, yes, you can take it, but make sure you're not taking too much. At the beginning, you mentioned supplementation. The jury's sort of still out on it. That's to treat vitamin D deficiency more than to prevent it? So not to treat it, but more for to test for it to begin with. So there is, I mean, I'm family medicine, so the Academy of Family Medicine actually does not recommend routine testing of vitamin D deficiency in asymptomatic individuals at all. And that's like a class A recommendation. So that's where the jury is out, not just on um, testing for it to begin with, um, but also how much is appropriate to supplement with and whether it's beneficial in non-bone-related disorders. So people can be deficient and... Never have any problems. And have no idea that they're... Yep, and never even know. And getting too much can be a bad thing. It can. So, you know, whenever someone takes too much vitamin D, um, I always like to give people the analogy of plastering a wall. So, yes, if there's a hole in the wall, you want to build it up real nicely. You want to make sure that we're building it up nice and strong. But there's such a thing as building it up too much so that it becomes weak and that's when the demilitarization or the rickets or osteomalacia happens as well. Then you can also have signs of uh, calcium excess, whether that's vomiting or um, kidney stones or headaches. So there's lots of signs and symptoms that can happen from too much vitamin D. So I read that the Endocrine Society practice guidelines recommend up to 10,000 is, is safe. How A day? It, yeah. How can that be? Oh, that sounds... Quite excessive, but um, like I mentioned, you know, every society you ask is going to have a different answer as far as what's okay. And the reason why I think vitamin D supplements are widely available is because the risks of toxicity, and I've never seen toxicity, but the risks are so low. And so while some studies will show 4,000 days is fine, I know people who take far more than that and still don't have the signs that I I just mentioned, the symptoms of toxicity. 
Coming back to the my sort of original question, the different things it it's may cause. I did a, a Google News search yesterday and I came across stories about new studies showing the deficiency can cause dementia, stroke, miscarriages. What kind of effect can it actually have? So I did that same Google search just to see what was new and what was out there. And when I try to follow it up with actual published, you know, well-controlled studies, the relationship is, yes, low levels can be linked to dementia or miscarriages, but supplementation to fix those efficiencies haven't led to improved outcomes of the dementia or of the miscarriages, if that makes sense. So my concern is, is it more related to other aspects of those populations and not the deficiency itself because supplementation hasn't shown any improved outcomes? Do doctors check for vitamin D deficiency pretty regularly? Or we do. It- um, the crazy answer to this is it depends on the patient, the provider, and your insurance. So, you know, you come in for your annual physical, and unfortunately, there's a lot of insurance providers who won't cover for vitamin D. And I have people ask me all the time, well, how much is it going to cost? And I have no idea. I do check for it. So if someone asks me to check for it, I do. But otherwise, I don't routinely do it because we know that it may not play a role in their overall health in general as far as outcomes. It's just a blood test, right? It's just a blood test. So it shouldn't be too terribly expensive, right? I would hope not. I haven't had um, a bunch of complaints, but I've also had people kind of want to fight a bill for it too. But it doesn't sound like it's such a... It's not thousands of dollars here. (laughs) Right. But I'm just saying it doesn't sound like it's such a huge... That what I read, silent epidemic, and can be cause of so many problems um, if doctors aren't rushing to do this more with patients. No, it's not. So... Like I mentioned before, if this was a conversation 20 years ago, I'm sure people would have a different answer as far as how it can lead to certain health outcomes. But these days, you know, we're not seeing a bunch of rickets or bone loss or significant problems in our country because of vitamin D deficiency. But you do get people still asking you about it all the time. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is, uh, number one, the internet. You know, of course, you're going to read things that say, yes, it can lead to... X, Y, and Z problem. And if it's easy to test, easy to fix, why not do it? Especially if the benefits could outweigh the risks. So I think that's why people are asking for it. And because it's something that's been around for a long time. It's years and years of the same thought process that this is going to affect my health in this way. So why not get it checked and do something about it? And I think we're kind of um, shifting to a society that's more focused on alternative ways of medicine. So whether that's through herbs or supplements, vitamins, I think a lot of our society is making a shift in trying to do things other than just standard Western medicine. Is there anything you want to say, sort of a final final thoughts on this, final takeaway for people out there listening to this podcast about how they how they should think about vitamin D deficiency? I would say do your research. Things are changing every day. And while it's not going to hurt to take some vitamin D in the form of sunlight, through your nutrition, or through supplementation. It's also important to make sure that you're taking something for a good reason and not just for the fun of it. All right. Very good. I appreciate your taking time to talk with us about this. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So, Todd, hearing all this from Dr. Akunu, has that influenced your outlook on vitamin D? Well, I was sort of relieved to to hear that it was not as big a concern as I had gathered from from reading 
tales about all the deficiency out there. It's not a clear and present danger that you might have thought. Yeah, exactly. There's so much out there between you know, the pandemic and monkeypox and whatnot that uh, uh, the fact that most of us seem to be getting our vitamin D okay is was was nice to hear. It sounds like from our research and what Dr. Kunu said, if you have a well-balanced diet, your vitamin D levels are probably going to take care of themselves. Yeah, I think so. Between that and getting out in the sun some, uh, uh, make, making sure to have fish staple in your diet is certainly a good thing. Yeah. I think the key thing to remember is that everyone's different. So if you have some concerns that you're, you're, uh, have a vitamin D deficiency, uh, check with your doctor. Uh, it's certainly easy to test for. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed our topic today. That's going to do it for us this time. But if you enjoy these kinds of conversations and topics and are looking for more discussions, be sure to share, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more like this, visit our blog on health at houstonmethodist.org slash blog. Stay tuned and stay healthy. Houston Methodist Hospital has been named the best hospital in Texas for 11 years in a row by U.S. News and World Report. Houston Methodist Hospital is the number one hospital in Texas and number 15 in the nation. We are nationally ranked in 10 specialties, the most in the state. For more than 100 years, we have provided you the best and safest clinical care, advanced technology, and patient experience. That's our promise of leading medicine. Houston Methodist, leading medicine.